following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Right. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks morning. for the opportunity to come and share with you all this morning when we um, dive into fall and uh, in this case, crisis. So I'd like to open us in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning, Father, just with open hearts, Father, just asking that just your presence would move in this room this morning, Father, that your glory would shine through, Father, and that we would just give our whole selves to you, Father, that we would be present, that you would speak um, just through me and into our lives, Father, and just that you would use this time of community Father, to edify and to build each other up. We thank you for each man in this room, Father. Um, we just thank you for the fellowship that you have provided, and we ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning, uh, Steve and Eric approached me about starting to share with you all a little bit um, in Eric's absence. So we're going to be talking about crisis this morning. Um, so did those of you who have been here before, I know there's a couple new faces who might not have read the chapter. What were your kind of initial thoughts on, uh, on the chapter on crisis and the, uh, the accident, um, kind of just in general, if anybody had any thoughts, wanted to get a, a gauge of some interest? So I see Gabe shaking his head. <laughs> I think one of the main things that crisis produces in us, um, or at least has the ability to do so, um, if we give it to the Lord, is to provide dependence upon the Lord. Um, and that was kind of one of the key takeaways for me from the first few chapters. Um, let's see, get some notes up here. Yeah, so as we're, as we're going on in life, um, as things are going well, maybe in times of peace, I think that we get to a place of maybe a false sense of security. Um, sometimes we can get to a place of dependence on our own ability in certain areas. Um, and God brings our... Whether God brings a crisis or not, um, or whether that's a result of our own brokenness and our own sin, God can use that crisis to really reveal um, our own dependence on ourselves and produce a, re a response that's dependence on Him. Um, let's see. I think that one of those uh, one of those first responses to the crisis is a feeling of out of being out of control. Um, to me, that can uh, that can feel like uh, being a man. We want to step into a place. We want to take charge of the situation. Um, I think that we uh, desire to want to control a lot of aspects of our lives. Um, and a crisis can really bring us to a place where we have no control. Um, and we'll get into some of my story here in a minute um, and how I felt um, a lot of these similar feelings in a time of crisis in my life. So how do we walk with God in these times? What kind of responses do they produce in us? And how do we move to a place of dependence and reliance on the Father rather than moving away from the Father? Because I've seen it happen both, both ways in my life where we have a crisis and we don't move towards God um, when really we need to be moving that way. Um, so one of the things that I, uh, I like to pray in a time of crisis <coughs> excuse me, is to uh, have obedience to the Father. Um, and whatever, whatever the circumstance is, um, 
just to stay obedient to him and to fully to him, um, because only his way can bring us a fruitful outcome to that situation that ultimately is going to be glorifying to him. Um, and if we don't, it's just building a temple to ourselves. If we say that, oh, we can do this, oh, we can control this situation, um, it's only going to build our own selves up um, and not bring glory to the Father and ultimately not the kind of right kind of um, resolution to the crisis. Um, I think that when we get into those times of crisis and when we get into those times where we're wanting to uh, to move to a place, those place of obedience, um, the enemy comes and attacks us and brings us to a place where we don't dwell in the goodness and glory of God. And I think that we dwell primarily on our own negative circumstances. So in this case, his accident. He sits there and he's talking about uh, you know, having a little flap open in the uh, hospital room and wanting to walk out with his boots on and just worrying about, oh, I'm going to miss archery season. I'm going to miss building my car. We tend to dwell and go to that place, and that's just the natural bent of our own broken hearts. Um, and I think it's important to be aware of those things. I think it's important to move um, to God and bring that before the cross so that we can get to that place of, of obedience and a place of reliance. Um, so kind of circling back to the control part, um, I think that asking the Father um, really produces that reliance on God, um, but it comes at the cost of relinquishing our perceived control, which is really, really hard for us as men. Um, I know, me personally, I want to take control of all the situations that I'm in. Um, I want to move into them. I want to almost beat them into submission if I can. Um, and so I think that we, uh, we have a hard time just going to that place to relinquish that control, to rest in God's grace. But when we do, we have a completely new outlook, right? We have a refreshment in the Lord. Um, we have a weight that's been lifted off of us because it's something that we weren't meant to carry in the first place. Um, kind of moving on here. Um, waiting for God's perfect timing and transitioning into here. Just share a little bit about my story um, of crisis. So one of the biggest times of crisis in my life um, was didn't think this would uh, cause me to be emotional, but um, was during a time of separation with my wife. Um, so my wife and I separated about nine months after, or about nine months after getting married, um, about a year after being married. Um, and it wasn't until I reached a place of brokenness and I reached a place of giving all of the current situation at that time to the Lord that he really stepped in. And to me, that produced the biggest dependence on the Lord that I've ever had in my life. Um, I had not been a Christian for long. Um, and so I immediately kind of in, in that situation had to have this ultimate dependence on God because it was something that I'd been trying to fix for a whole year, something that I had been trying to control for a whole year um, and something that clearly was not working. <laughs> for a whole year. Um, and it wasn't until that place of separation, until that place of brokenness, until that place of relinquishing control that God really stepped in and moved in a powerful way to bring reconciliation between us, to bring healing, to bring peace, to restore love and joy. And, um, you know, we're going on four years of marriage now. So um, started to talk about starting a family and just to see how God's restorative work could work 
by giving a crisis situation to that to make us more in his image, to sanctify us in that process has been an incredible journey for me personally just to, um, to have that. So that's kind of transitioning here into the, into the next slide of producing dependence. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong slide here. Of waiting on God's timing. So like I said, um, I wanted something to happen and I wanted it to happen then and I wanted God to fix our marriage then and immediately. Um, but it wasn't until, um, until I truly surrendered that he did. And immediately after that, did he, um, did he really move powerfully in my wife's heart as well to bring healing to her, to remove the weight that she had been feeling of bitterness and uh, uh, resentment towards me. And it wasn't until I, like I said, until I, uh, I relinquished that control that he was able to, to flood her heart with grace. So that to me is is such a huge moment of waiting, um, waiting on the Lord and praying for the Lord to show up and not having him do so immediately and not having him do so in a way that I wanted to at first. Um, just kind of constantly going back to the same place, same place, because it was all under my own control. So I think the further we are from God, the more hostile we are to the current situation. Um, I think that when we when we go to these places of crisis, like I said, we can have a, a, a propensity to want to dwell in ourselves and we won't have a propensity to want to focus on the current situation in crisis. When we don't look outside of ourselves and when we look to the Father, I think that it produces a, uh, a just a sense of peace in that time of crisis because there are so many ways and so many blessings that God has brought uh, upon all of us in this room, you know, by each breath that we even take is by the power um, of the Father. And so um, when we really think about how blessed we are that we live here in Houston, that we're able to come and worship together freely and to move outside of that, our focus outside of that crisis, um, then we are not as hostile to it and we can really give space for the Holy Spirit to work. Um, so what do we do when God doesn't answer as we want him to. Do any of y'all have any, um, any circumstances maybe where um, you've been in a crisis um, or you've prayed um, for something and God has not answered it as desired? Yeah, it can be really frustrating when we're on, it's almost like on repeat, right? Praying the same thing every day, every day. And I can think back to that first year of marriage where I was praying the same thing every day, every day, um, and not, not seeing um, the Lord move, even though he was moving, um, just not in the way that I expected it to or not in the way that I wanted it to. Um, yeah, so does it bring about bitterness in us? Do you all think it brings about bitterness in us, maybe resentment to God? Yeah, those are some of the responses that I thought. Eric, you got something? Yeah. And so I think that what Eric was saying and what you're saying, Steve, um, kind of leads into that last point there of vulnerability to the enemy because we're really vulnerable at that moment of crisis to give our hearts over to agreements with him, um, to let him move up and set up shop in places that we didn't even know were there um, in a lot of times, to use the brokenness of our past, to use the experiences, the hurt that we've experienced in our past, um, to really let him set up shop and to lie 
um, and that's what it is, is to lie to us about um, our current situation, to lie to us about our intimacy with God, to lie to us about um, whatever, wherever the place is. Um, yeah, and it's not until we really stake our truth um, and our foundation in the Lord that we can repel those times of attacks because we become so vulnerable to them at those times. Um, this, to me, was probably the biggest, the biggest part of the chapter. Um, I think in my story, uh, giving my whole self to, to God is really what brought about um, the healing process. Um, because I like to say, before God saved my marriage, he had to save me. Um, and it wasn't until that place of complete brokenness, of complete relinquishment, um, that God showed up and that God moved powerfully within us. So how do we get to that place of joy and rest in the Father? And how do we guard against worshiping the gift over the giver? Um, I think that I personally had gotten to a place of worshiping my marriage, worshiping my wife, um, rather than the good gift of her as my companion. Um, and that the Lord had blessed me with, um, and building an altar to her and to the institution of marriage rather than to the Father. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me was the happy little life section. Did any of y'all identify with the, uh, it almost sounds like a, like a hamster wheel, of <laughs> just kind of constantly trying to keep up and trying to juggle all the pieces and trying to have this, this life where, hey, we go to church. You know, I got a couple kids, got a decent job, um, and we all are striving for that. Um, did any of y'all identify with that, that section? Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it really kind of struck me um, pretty powerfully when I read that section because I think that we have a, and, and it's just another agreement that the enemy uses to bring, uh, to bring brokenness to us, um, but I think that we almost build an altar to that life, especially here in America, where we have so much, um, and we want to keep up with the neighbors. We want to um, provide for our families. We want to have children that are raised in the church that know the Lord. Um, and we build up all of our efforts into producing that outcome. Um, and it's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting trying to keep all the pieces together. Um, and that's really what struck me was, why not just turn that to God? And why not let us rest um, in just his love in, that, in, those, in those areas and let his work and let his power and let his glory um, move um, move within our families and within this happy little life um, scenario. So he really asks us to let go of the things we love and they've given our hearts to so we can give our hearts more fully to him. And he does this, like we said, a lot of times through crisis. Even though he doesn't bring those crises, um, they expose places in our hearts that had really been given to the enemy, as we said in the last slide. Um, but why do we get to this place, one of disappointment, when we don't have the happy little life? Um, does anybody have any ideas? 
Has anybody felt disappointed um, when things don't turn out maybe as as you want them to? And Papilola, you got any? Yeah, I think that I think that we, like I said, we built an altar to that to that life, and uh, and we need to turn that over to the Lord to get out of that place. So, um, so we talked about it being exhausting and the endless juggling of the pieces. Um, I think when we get into those cycles, we have to really guard against cynicism. That's one of the main things that I know I certainly have been um, guilty of is being a cynic in those types of situations where we are constantly critiquing, we're constantly um, observing others, um, but we're not engaging, we're not loving, um, we're not hoping in the Lord. Yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 taking it all it's taking it all outside of ourselves and just taking it all to the Father. And I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, we're just running a little short on time here, so get through this uh, this last slide. So I think uh, I think it really produces this childlike obedience on the Father. I just spent this whole last week with my two and a half year old nephew living at our house, which we don't have any kids yet. Um, I know most of y'all do, um, so that was a big change for me. Um, to see a two-and-a-half-year-old who goes from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. with maybe a two-hour nap nonstop all day. Um, he doesn't stop. He's like the most active kid I've ever seen in my life. He has to go to the splash pad like four times a day. But anyways, <laughs> um, I really saw a picture of a mother, and so my, my sister-in-law was with him, um, of a mother disciplining her child. And I saw this, and I was reflecting on it, and really thought, well, this is just how God does us. This is how God disciplines us. This is how God speaks to us. In a very, you know, very small comparison, maybe it's not the best, but I think that um, we don't know what's best for us, but they do. And that was the takeaway to me was, she knows what's better for him, despite what he thinks is really best for him, like wanting to stay at that splash pad for another hour. Um, she knows what's best. And moving to the last slide here. Um, staying steadfast. Um, since we said that trials turn us inwards and, and dwell us on the circumstances once they're exposed, um, Every true strength, though, is really gained, gained through struggle. And I think that until we move into that place um, that causes pain, there won't be growth. Um, and God really desires that growth in us. Um, we have to say out loud at times. I, I know that myself, um, when I become vulnerable um, in these times of crisis, because we are so broken and we realize our brokenness, and as Eric pointed out, we make um, agreements with the enemy, I like to say out south or say out loud truths of God. So I will recite scripture over myself or I will go to a trusted friend or advisor or a counselor or somebody to speak those truths into my life to help guard against what attack the enemy is bringing at that time because we are so vulnerable at that place um, of brokenness to to want to make new agreements with him even we had just come out of an agreement, right? So we're just going to move right into the next one. Um, and we really need to, to guard against that. And so having a friend speak uh, scripture over you, having a friend to pray with you, 
um, is one of the things that I've instituted in my life to be able to um, to guard against that. So um, th I'd like to just kind of close with just guarding uh, against unbelief and doubt, um, just having the courage to stay steadfast in the Lord, um, praying for that because it's only a gift from Him that we do have that, um, and just resting in the place that God's truth and promises are unchanging. They have been for thousands of years. They have been since, since creation. Um, and so if we rest in that and we trust in that, then, then I think it can bring a sense of peace to us. So kind of with that, I will turn it over to Steve, who is, um, oh, no, we got a table time. That's right. Um, first table time. So circle up around your tables and, uh, and go over a couple of these questions that we have up here. I hear a lot of rich discussions here. Guys, we're going to jump ahead here. I want to share a quick story. Uh, about 20 years ago, I went to uh, visit a friend in, in Scotland. And he lived in Aberdeen. He was in the oil and gas industry. And I happened to take a trip to Edinburgh. Anybody been to Scotland or uh, David has? Brian? Anyway, Scotland. Anyway, I was walking from the Edinburgh Castle, it's a famous castle, down High Street. And I noticed that on both sides of the road, there were barricades. And uh, being the good old Texan that I am, I had no clue. And so uh, as I was walking down the street, I asked somebody, what, what's going on here? What, why is there, is there something coming on? The coin's coming. Excuse me, could you translate that into, the coin is coming. It took two or three times for me to hear it. Anyway, here I was in a July day in Edinburgh, Scotland. And I queued up just like everybody else along the rail. And in a split second, here comes this really unique looking dark brown Rolls Royce limousine with like a pop top on it. And there was the queen. And I was probably from here to Eric away from her. She got out of the car and she walked into this uh, church that was on High Street in Edinburgh. And I realized, well, you know, we don't live in a monarchy like the United Kingdom does, but in some ways we do, because Jesus is king, and he's asked us to join him into a different life. He's asked us to live a set-apart life. So if you think, well, I just fit in, Jesus has specifically called us not to fit in, hasn't he? He said, remain in me, and I will remain in you. So Jesus is calling us to a place that maybe is very unfamiliar to most of us. He's calling us to be little kings on the earth. The challenge is, as Scott was saying so well, we have our own way of doing life. And I'm going to hold on to my way of life until I get trumped, until life happens and I have to change. So what does that look like? Eldridge points out here, I want two things that are mutually opposed. I want to live a nice little life, my little life, my picture of life, and I also want to play an important role in God's kingdom. And doesn't that fit most of us? We've got our picture, just like you were saying, uh, Scott, you, you're holding on to a picture of what your own life looks like. The challenge is, it comes in direct opposition 
to what God has sometimes. There's Steve's way, and then there's God's way. And the challenge is God doesn't release, he doesn't, I don't know that I'm living on Steve time or Steve's way sometimes. Do I? Do you know when you're walking with God and when you're opposing God? Sort of awkward sometimes. Those disappointments. You know, why, why was Moses out in the desert for 40 years? He was right in the middle of God's purposes, but he thought he was lost and trashed. He didn't know that that was God's training ground for him. He didn't know. He, Joseph, who was faithful, was thrown in prison for 10 or 12 years and wasn't released. So sometimes the timing of life and the circumstances, you don't know what it is, but you're squarely in opposition to where God, there's Steve's way. Or, so do I want to exchange my life to what God has? Do I want to sort of take on what God has for me, or do I want to just keep on doing the same thing and button my head into the bricks? I don't ask God because I don't want to know. Isn't that the uh, bury the head in the sand? I, I don't want to know, God. If God is saying, hey, hey, Steve, I have a life for you that is happy, it is miraculous, it looks like the life I had in store for you, but you don't come to me. You don't ask me for it. So I don't ask God because I don't want to know. Just like many of you, and I've asked this question, I've heard this before, honey, how am I doing? The married man says to his wife with open-ended time, do you really want to hear what your wife says to you? Or maybe you just say, hey, <clears throat> let's let it go. If I know what God thinks, then I'm faced with the decision of whether to follow God's counsel or not. Meaning, either if I go there, do I really believe God has something in store for me? So there's God's way, and this is sort of my picture. There's God's way, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold this little piece over here for me. Most of it's God's but some of it is mine. Does that connect with you guys at all? Do you know? I don't know necessarily what mine is. That's the thing. I know I'm holding on to some things that are Steve's. They're Steve's plans. They're Steve's thoughts. They're the way I like life. I'm still holding on to that happy little life. Let's dive into this for a second. What is all this about? What is this walking with God about? What is this story that just Scott shared about being transformed? The raw, the raw gold. You know, if you and I had a big block of, of rock and it was filled with gold, but really it just looked, you know, brown or something like that, nobody would say, hey, let me have that. I want to take it. Until it's refined until it's purified, until it has heat and pressure and time associated with it, just like Scott told about his story. It's not going to look like gold. How do we get there? This to me, guys, of all everything we've talked about so far, 
This is the treasure. And Eldridge brings up, I'm thinking about love this morning. When I think about walking with God, or a relationship, a friendship, with your wife, with your friends or your family, when it's all said and done, it's really going to be about one thing. Did I love my wife? Did I love my friends? Did I love my family? Well, isn't it? I mean, money will come and go. Health will come and go. That, old, that beautiful car will get old. You'll park it. And we're going to add something to that. How's my love relationship with God? If Matthew, if Jesus was asked, and he was in Matthew 22, now, Jesus, tell me what's the most important thing here above all things. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to feast on the other ones. It's easy, if you were to ask your wife, ask your sons, your daughters, your grandkids, your friends, anybody in here, how am I doing? Am I loving you? Well, what about if it's time to start asking God, God, am I loving you? I want to tell a quick story. This is a familiar one for all of you guys. This is the, this is the prodigal son story. We're going to look at it together. Luke 15. Jesus continued. This is Jesus' story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between him. Not long after that, the young son left, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered all of his wealth and wild living. Son said, Dad, I'm done. Taking your money, my inheritance, and I'm gone. Think about both sides of this. Think about the son. Think about the father. I will set out. This is a younger son. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy, worthy to be called your son. He's broken now, isn't he? Make me like one of your hired servants, not like a son, hired servant. So he got up and went to his father. Guys, if you get nothing out of this day or what I'm sharing, get this one. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What was his father doing? Imagine his father was looking out into the distance for his son. If it, have anybody here ever lost a son or a relationship with a son or a daughter? I know some people that have. A text, a call, a letter, and anything with that one that's dear to you changes your heart. The father was waiting for his son to come back. He never lost hope. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against the heaven, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son was groveling right before his dad. What did dad do? 
But the father said to his servants, quick, 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 bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. There was a son who ran away and knew he didn't deserve rightful place with his daddy anymore. And then there was the daddy. What is this all about? This will come in. The younger son left his home and his family. In terrible circumstances, the younger son hoped he could return to his family. As a servant or hired hand, he went home. Always waiting and watching for the younger son to return, the father ran to greet his missing son. Father's heart was big, his boy. The father celebrated the younger son's return and fully restored him to his family. Today, guys, I don't know where you are with God and what you think you have done or haven't done with God. If you think you have a Grand Canyon of distance between you and God, I have good news for you today. Is a Grand Canyon separating God and you today? If you're a believer in Christ, God is, wants to tell you without any question today, you're His. You'll never walk with God, guys. You'll never want to walk with a daddy that doesn't love you. You won't. You'll keep a safe distance. You'll keep a formal distance. You'll never get close to God if you think daddy doesn't love you. I have a friend, and I know him very, very well. I'm going to call him John. That's not his name. He's married, and he has three children. His daddy said to him, John, I'll be at your wedding. He no-showed John at his wedding. He had his first son or his first daughter. I, I, I can't wait to meet your first daughter. John actually drove to his, to his neighborhood. Sorry, John, I, 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 can't, I, I don't have time. I need to go to work. This was out of the city. So John, still grieving that his father never showed up for him. I'm guessing that's a lot of you men today. In the many years that I've hung out with guys, our age, your age, my age, I've usually asked the question, how many of you guys have a close relationship with your father? A godly father. I've probably surveyed 50 guys in the years. How many of those guys do you think said, I had a great dad, godly? Steve just held up. He said two. It's two out of 50. Is there a Grand Canyon separating you and God? Or does it look like this? This is the picture of what the, this is Rembrandt's picture of the return of the prodigal son. Pastor Greg used it in church last summer. 
Where am I with God's love? There's the Father. Look at all the formality on the right side. This is the Son. What is the Dad doing? He's embracing His Son. Guys, we're going to do something different today. I'm giving out hugs today. Many of you have never had a father that said, I love you, son. But I'm going to do that for you guys today. If you guys need a man to say, I love you and you're mine. God has plans for you and I love you and I'm going to be with you. I want to do that for you. My gift to you and God's gift to you too. You, without any question, know that you're deeply loved and treasured by God. If you do, if you do, you're going to walk with Him because you're going to trust Him and you know that He loves you, is deeply involved in your life. If not, you're going to keep a Grand Canyon at distance with Him. Over the next handful of minutes, there's some scriptures here that I'd like to encourage you to take a look at. These are all about what God thinks about you and thinks about me. Guys, we're going to just take two or three minutes. I know it's <clears throat> pushing 730 really hard. So at your tables, if you want to look at those verses, you look at them, feast on them, think about them, put your name in that. And at the same time, if anybody wants to come up and have a blessing, I want to give that. We are chosen generation. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.